generations. Generations speak to our past, they speak to our present, and they speak to our future. The generations all going back, all the way to the very beginning, and the early pages of the Hebrew Scriptures, of God creating. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and He created humanity as His special image bearers. And they were given this great world, this beautiful, good world. And God wanted to partner with them in a beautiful partnership. But as we know the story, they chose to go another way. And so generation after generation after generation has struggled with sin and brokenness. This cycle after cycle after cycle. What are we going to do? What could break the cycle? Who could break the cycle? What could be done? What could save us? All these generations, past, present, and future. So it's not surprising in the opening pages of the New Testament part of your Bible. In Matthew chapter 1, we talk about generations. If you have a Bible or device, find Matthew chapter 1. This is the word of the Lord. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. And Solomon the father of Rehoboam. And Rehoboam the father of Abijah. And Abijah the father of Asaph. And Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat the father of Joram. And Joram the father of Uzziah. And Uzziah the father of Jotham. And Jotham the father of Ahaz. And Ahaz the father of Hezekiah. And Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. And Manasseh, the father of Amos. And Amos, the father of Josiah. And Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Sheltiel. And Sheltiel, the father of Zerubbabel. And Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, Abiud, the father of Eliakim, 
And Eliakim, the father of Azor. And Azor, the father of Zadok. And Zadok, the father of Achim. And Achim, the father of Eliud. And Eliud, the father of Eleazar. And Eleazar, the father of Methan. And Methan, the father of Jacob. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born, who was called Christ. So all the generations from Abram to David were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Jesus was born, who was called Christ. And so begins the good news story of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Matthew begins in a very intentional way. He said the book of the genealogy, the Greek word there is Genesis. He is making a clear connection to the very beginning of humanity. He speaks of a genesis, of a beginning. And this is how the gospel, according to Matthew, begins. And as we'll find, this is much more than just a story of a small town boy who grew up in Palestine in the first century. More than just a Jewish or Hebrew story. But as we'll find, and as we'll even see today in this passage, it was a fulfillment of everything God intended, not just for His children, the nation of Israel, but for the entire world. Matthew will show us that this is what happens when God becomes king. This is what happens when God becomes king. And it's not just Matthew. The other gospel writers, you may know them well. Luke, John, Mark. They all point to this fulfillment of all that God intended for all humanity. This is what it looks like when Israel's God becomes not just God of Israel, but God of the universe. N.T. Wright wrote this. Matthew highlights the great traditions of Israel, particularly the law of Moses, showing Jesus as Emmanuel, the God with us person, fulfilling every aspect of the scriptural promises up to and including his elevation as Israel's Messiah to his complete sovereignty over the whole world. I'm Pastor Ben. I'm glad you're here today. Here on this early January Sunday, we're going to be looking at Matthew. I got to tell you, I'm so excited. I've been so giddy over this series for such a long time. I've been nerding out. I hope today you can nerd out with me a little bit. I've been anxious because this is such a powerful gospel. And sometimes we read right over these stories and miss some great nuggets of truth. And I think God wants us to hear fresh from his word today. So I hope you brought your Bible. Grab your device and have that handy. We're going to be using that today. We gather like this, like Christ followers all over the globe. Because it was on a Sunday morning so long ago that Jesus Christ of Nazareth rose from the dead, proved everything he said, and that tomb was empty. And it changed human history forever. And it changed many of our hearts right here. 
So on this early Sunday in January, let's once again gather to lift up the name of Jesus. That's why we're here. And let's encourage one another, hear from God's word, be challenged. And today we're going to be talking about in the beginning. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. You're good and powerful and mighty. You're so much more than we could ask or imagine. And Father, we lean into your word. Speak to us, even in these early bits of scripture here in Matthew. Would you speak to us, reveal to us things we've never known before. And that, Father, we would be your special people to the world. That we would show your love to everyone around us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Can you grab that water for me? Well, at the beginning, there are a couple questions we need to maybe wrestle with. First of all, who is this Matthew? Which, which Matthew do you think it is? Was it the Matthew, the famous Matthew of the Twelve? I tend to think so. Matthew, the, the tax collector, sort of a shady entrance into the Twelve this tax collector, but yeah, who was, who was this Matthew? We'll be talking about that in this series. And also, why does he get the number one spot? Why does Matthew get to start the entire New Testament section, the New Covenant? Why does he get the first one? And maybe I've already let it out of the bag a little bit that Matthew's language speaks to Genesis. That God was doing new creation echoing the original creation, that there was something new being born that we need to pay attention to. And I think there's a couple other things that as we're going through this series, you may want to pay attention to. Just a couple things that I'll throw out there. First of all, there are five key teaching sections in the book of Matthew, 28 chapters, Five key teaching sections. And, and we know that there are distinct sections because at the end of every section, there will be a comment, something to the effect of, when Jesus had finished these sayings, parables or instructions. When Jesus had finished these sayings. There are five main teaching sections, and one of them you already know pretty well, if you've been around church circles at all, We call it the Sermon on the Mount. Yeah, the Sermon on the Mount. It starts in Matthew chapter 5. So five teaching sections, and they're surrounded by narratives and stories and some things like that, some travel notes. Why is five significant? There's this section of the Old Covenant the Hebrew Scriptures, that start with five. We call it, well, in Jewish circles, they would call it the Torah. You know what they are? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. How many? Five. Do you already see what Matthew is trying to do here? Now, we've got more to go today, but do you already see from the beginning, we have some wonderful things that Matthew is trying to clue us in on, and his first century audience would have absolutely knew what he was trying to do here. Five sections like Torah. 
Now, there are a few other things and maybe some subpoints, but we also find that Matthew, he wants to show us something about Jesus as the new Moses. That people all knew Moses from, from the Egyptian days and getting the people out of Egypt and getting them out of slavery. And Matthew's going to show that Jesus isn't just taking a few people out of slavery. His intention is to take everyone out of the slavery of sin and bring rescue to the world. So we'll see Matthew beginning to make that connection. We'll also see something else that I think is really helpful for many of us. In the Gospel of Matthew, we'll see Matthew highlight some people that may, that may be questionable, that may be the marginalized or the outsiders. See, Matthew will talk about lepers, people that were unclean. He'll talk about questionable women pouring expensive perfume. He'll talk about Roman soldiers and Gentiles, those left out of the Jewish nation, the special people. Matthew will highlight those folks, and maybe you're one of those folks today. You have felt like that, marginalized. You didn't get picked for the team. Well, Matthew's got your back. In, in Hebrew circles, they would call that the mumser. And Matthew will highlight the mumser, the one who is marginalized, outside, not part of the cool kids. So look for that. And finally, Matthew will show over and over again, and he will use kingdom language to show that this Messiah Jesus is not only legally connected to the line of David, but he is the sovereign king of a whole new kingdom. A kingdom that he'll tell Pilate is not of this world. He'll tell another kingdom person, part of the empire, that my empire is not like your empire. And so watch for those themes as Matthew begins to develop. Let's go back to our passage today. Those 17 verses, are those your favorite? What do we often do with those? Boring. I don't know these people. Why is it relevant? How many have skipped over that? Maybe some of your traditions, you read the Christmas story for your kiddos or grandkiddos over Christmas, and you kind of skip certain sections. You might have skipped that section. I get it. I mean, what is Matthew trying to do? I mean, okay, Matthew, we get it. There are generations involved here. And, uh, okay, we get that. And maybe, maybe you were pretty smart when you were listening to that, and you heard the name David several times. In fact, David shows up a few times, doesn't it? I think David shows up like five times. So, you know, if you're, you know, really adept, you're like, okay, I get the generate, and I get David's important. You might immediately say David must be important. And you'd be right. David is important in that legal line. That was important. Clearly, Matthew wanted us to understand that there were so many generations and David was important, right? From a surface level, right? That's all we need to know. Let's move on. Let's get to the good stuff. That's what we tend to do. But I want you to notice something. There are some questionable people in this genealogy that are listed. That if you or I were editing the Bible, we might have left out because they're embarrassing to some degree, or some might say. 
there are some women involved in this genealogy. Now, in a patriarchal society, who generally gets left out of the legal jargon? The ladies. So that's already interesting that Matthew decides to include four women, three by name. And at least two of these women mentioned are not even Jewish. <gasps> They're not even Jewish. You could argue there were three of them. Did you catch the names of some of these ladies? Maybe you know the stories of some of these ladies. Now some of these, were, the, these names might have been familiar to you, but you may have missed moms listed. Tamar. Ruth. Rahab. Do you know the stories of some of these ladies? Before you rush to judgment on some of these ladies, realize that in a patriarchal society, you've got to do what you've got to do to survive. Rahab. Tamar. Ruth. Ruth was not a Jewish person. She was, if you are a Bible nerd like me, she was a Moabite. There's a whole story about Moabite in the Old Testament. She was Moabite. Who was Rahab? What was her job? She was a prostitute. How did Tamar get involved in the family line? You don't even want to know this story. Trust me, don't, you don't want to know this story. Kiddos, don't look it up. Four women are mentioned. At least two are not Jewish. Why do you think Matthew would make a point of talking about them in this, in this genealogy? Is it possible that God was doing something so much more than just the Jewish people? Is it possible that God had a larger viewpoint of humanity? Remember, all of humanity was made in God's image. And the family line of the Jewish people didn't start till Abraham. There's a lot of humans involved before then. Is it possible that God loved all people? That every child of God has made his image? And here in the genealogy that you and I skip right over, there are non-Jewish people. And there's a gal in here that's not even mentioned by name. But you know her story. And it's a very embarrassing story for the number one name in this list named King David. She's not even mentioned by name, but we all know her story. A story where she gets her son Solomon in line for the kingship and he wasn't even in line. He was seven, eight back and she fights for him. These are some powerful women involved in this genealogy and we read right over it. One commentator called this one big crazy crooked family tree. But I'm so thankful that there are some mumsers Right? Who's the mumser? Rahab, Ruth, Tamar, Bathsheba. The outsiders are involved. And we read right over this. We don't see it. Right over it. Gets to me. There's something else. If you have a Bible, uh, like a printed Bible like I have, you, you might notice that this passage, these 17 verses are broken into some sections. And then we, again, we read right over it. There are some sections here. There's three groupings 
of 14 generations. Did you see that? Three groupings of 14 generations. Now, there are a few generations that are missing from the genealogy. Curious to know who's missing? Some of you Bible scholars might already know. Just hang on. Don't yell it out. There are some people missing. There are three specifically. And they're, they're kings of Judah. Ahaziah, Jehoiash, and Amaziah. These three kings are left out, and they are especially wicked. There was a run where there were many corrupt kings in the divided kingdom of Israel before they were both conquered and taken away. And these three were pretty wicked. And they were all from the cursed line of Ahab and his daughter Athaliah to the third and fourth generations. They're left out of the genealogy. Now, we could also say that maybe Matthew left them out so that we have these three sections of 14, and that's very possible too. But they're left out because God has a plan, and these kings did not want his plan. So it's interesting that they're not listed. Three groupings of 14. Now let's talk about something here. You may think, well, three is interesting. Why is three a big number in in Bible talk, in church talk? Come on, three. Trinity, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We know three. Fourteen, though? I mean, that didn't make sense. I mean, we got 12 tribes of Israel, right? We have 12 disciples. You could argue there were a few more, but that's another thing. But 12, right? 12. We're used to 12. But 14. Well, what if you break 14 into half? Now what do you got? Seven. What, what seven tell you? There's seven days... In a week, God rested on the seventh day. What was supposed to happen in the nation of Israel every seventh year? Debt forgiveness. All kinds of good stuff happened. Let the land rest for a year. Let those who are marginalized and poor be able to feed off the land that you didn't plant. And what happens in the 77th, the 49th year in Israel? We call it the year of Jubilee. And at that point, all ancestral land goes back to the original owners. Debt forgiveness, big deal. A year-long party. So there's some numbers here is what my point is. And do you think that Matthew is intending for us to understand something about, about numbers? I think so. In, in, in Hebrew and Jewish writing, sometimes you have things called ciphers. And ciphers are not new to us. If you ever saw a Christmas story, you saw a little Ralphie with his little decoder pen. And he's trying to, to match the number with the letter. Anybody remember that? They're not new to us. So some scholars will look at the name David. And they will take the name David and look at the Hebrew alphabet. And they will say, well, if you take DWD, which is how David's name would show up in Hebrew, D being the fourth letter, W being the sixth letter, D being the fourth letter, what does that add up to? I'm not a math genius, but it's 14. That's interesting. You know whose name shows up in the 14th name listed in the generation? Starts with a D, ends with a D. 
That's curious. Is that an accident? Three sections of 14. Well, one of the ways that we can look at this is that when you see numbers in Scripture, especially 3, 7, 12, in this case 14, it's a multiple of that, those are numbers of completion. So in one sense, Matthew's trying to help us understand that there's a, there's a sense of completion when Jesus comes on the scene. There's a sense of completion of God's plan when Jesus comes on the scene. So he wants to show us that, not only with the generation names, but also the numbers represented. And that's good. We have this complete connection between Abraham, which is sort of the first covenant, the first promise, right? You're going to be a blessing to all nations. And then from him came all the, the nation of Israel. And then we get to David, who was, you know, a really important king. So all those are connections, right? We have a moment of completion. But there's, there's an, another one that we might check out. Thank you. There's a, an author and a writer that actually started a church in Portland, Bridgetown Church. A guy named is John Mark Comer. You might have read a book of his. I think he wrote a book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And, uh, and he pointed out there's another number here that we need to pay attention to. And it has to do with Daniel 9, verse 24. And if you know Daniel 9, 24, which I don't expect you to know, there's a comment in there about forgiveness, eternal forgiveness, salvation for all time and all peoples. Odd that it shows up in Daniel. You know, Daniel, you got to think about you know, exile and Babylon and all that sort of thing. Odd that their phrase would be about one day there would be this jubilee of jubilees. And remember those numbers? What a jubilee of jubilee is? It's a, a you know, it's seven, seven, seven. Well, and John Mark Comer pointed this out, and I'm so thankful that he did because I nerded out on it for a long time. And now I'll share it with you. You're welcome. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus started his ministry. And he was in his hometown synagogue. Think about it like your home church. He's in his home church. People knew him. First sermon out of the chute. Jesus reads some scripture from Isaiah. And listen to what he says in Luke chapter 4. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and regaining of sight to the blind to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of our Lord's favor. Jesus came and proclaimed the year of jubilee of all jubilees. So when you think about it, there are three sections of 14, break them in half, that's only six of sevens. Jesus, out of the chute, says, I'm the seventh seven. I am bringing the jubilee of all jubilees, forgiveness to the world. I'm the bringer of salvation for all people. Whoa. The Jubilee of Jubilees. The year of the Lord's favor. Check me on this. Go back to Torah. Look at Leviticus 25.10. The year of the Lord's favor is the Jubilee of Jubilees. That's the Jubilee, the 7-7. Jesus came to say, I'm here and I'm bringing it. The year of the Lord's favor. Jesus was declaring in that moment. And everybody in the first century would have known it. And Matthew would have known it. And he's telling us, and to, telling those early readers, he brought the year of the Lord's favor. 
the metaphor of salvation, forgiveness of God for everyone. There's so many levels to this 17 verses, and think about it. We read right over it all the time. We don't see what Matthew and the Lord intended for us to see. There's so many hints in the text. I could keep going. This is crazy. I see the countdown going down, and I'm like, there's so much. This week I had eight or nine pages of awesome stuff, and I'm boiling it down. I realize it's a sermon. I'm doing my best. You want one more? So look at the groupings again. You have three groupings of what? You know this by now. 14. And what are these groupings of? Generations, right? And you have a lot of what? Father of, right? A lot of father ofs. So 14 father ofs, right? Well, look at the last grouping. Come on, you can look it up. Last grouping. Verse 16 of chapter 1. I believe we have a father who's missing. Listen to the wording. Instead of father of, listen to this. Verse 16 in Jacob. The father of Joseph, we expect that. The husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. Who is the 14th father? God the Father! Isn't that so cool? Come on. Come on. God the Father. Don't you think Matthew was intentional here? Over and over again, the complete, the fulfillment of all God's plan for not just the Jews, for everyone. The inclusion of these mumsers, these, these outcasts, and they're included in God's family. We see the jubilee of jubilees. We see the one to bring salvation and a new kingdom that is not like this world. So much here. Matthew's trying to help us understand that Jesus was more than just a Messiah for one particular group of people, but a Messiah for the world, bringing the jubilee of jubilees all the way back to Daniel's prophecy, finally fulfilled in Jesus. In other words, Jesus is the crux of humanity. He is the crux, the focal point of humanity. If you miss him, you miss so much. He came at just the right time for you and for me. Galatians 4 tells us that just at the right appointed time, it had come. God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so we may be adopted as sons with full rights, because you are sons. God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts who calls Abba Father. You're no longer a slave, but a son and daughter. And if you're a son and daughter, you're an heir through God. He's come to set us free. Past, present, and future, every generation, all hinged on this moment. Jesus brings what we cannot do for ourselves, no matter how hard we try. We need a rescue, a rescuer. We need a solution. We needed someone to break the chain and the cycle of generations. And Jesus came to do that. Sin is still our problem. It's still our problem. Past, present, future. What we do today affects what happens next. And so we still need a Savior. We still need a Messiah. We still need Jesus of Nazareth, whose name was Joshua, Yahweh saves.
And my only point today, and this is a point for all of us, for every generation, give your sin to Jesus, past, present, and future. He's the only one that can break the cycle of addiction. He's the only one that can break the cycle of habitual sin. He is the one to save you from your sin, past, present, and future. There's no one else. No other name under heaven can save. He came to break the generational cycle, the generational trap, the chains of generational sin. Jesus came to break it. And if you've never allowed him to break your chains today, please come to him. Let him break those chains for you. Every generation waited. Every generation has a solution. It's Jesus. So if you've never done that, please come and and do that today. Talk to one of us. But for the rest of us who maybe who've said yes to Jesus, let him into every area of your sin. Past, let him redeem that. Present, let him change that. Future, let him alter that. Let's pray. Father, you're so good and powerful. Thank you for your love and faithfulness to us that matched every generation, past, present, and future. Father, thank you that in your son, the crux of humanity, you won the battle. The victory is there against all sin. It's been all forgiven. And Father, we're thankful that Jesus is still the good news, the good news. May we lean into it this day and every day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.